Welcome to True Crit, the music podcast where John Digital and I, Lizzie Benito, nerd out about artists that we love. This season we're talking about Steely Dan. This week we are discussing, well, it's their magnum opus, one of the most important rock and roll recordings in history, Asia. Oh man. Can't believe we're here. Such a big record. It really is. Almost to the point where I don't know if I can do it justice. Do you know what? I felt exactly the same. Yeah. I've been really nervous because this is like a top five record for me. Yeah, yeah, I know. And it's so important as well, especially for sound engineers. Yes. Because of its just insane quality. The quality of this recording is phenomenal. It is. I used to use this. I do actually use Gaucho because there is another step up in production. Yeah. For a long time, Asia was my stereo testing record. I think that Gaucho is almost too perfect. When people talk about Steely Dan being sterile, I disagree broadly. But in comparison against Asia, I think Gaucho is almost like pinnacle of it. Whereas this, it still has that kind of live quality in certain areas that you want to listen to on your new speakers. Yes, most definitely. Obviously, we're going to have a whole hour of talking about Gaucho next week. So yeah, this is a Grammy Award winning record. Yeah. This is a record that I've been listening to for about 20 years. This is your first foray, wasn't it, into Sudan, Asia Like Me? Yes. Yeah. Simply because of Peg. And again, you know, we we will get to that. I don't, I don't know how long we should spend just saying this album sounds fucking amazing. <laughs> not too long. Not too long. Rather than it, just... Every single song is just... A, every single song is amazing. Yeah. I think maybe we should just really just jump in. Let's do it. Black Cow. Black Cow. This was my revelation. I, I know I messaged you during the week about my black cow epiphany that I had after I had a glass of red wine. And it's not a particularly huge epiphany. Well, I had two, actually. One's probably bigger than the other, but the one I was talking to you about was was basically that this song, I feel, gets overshadowed by some of the other songs on the album. And it's easy to kind of overlook, I think, but it is just such an incredible song. The way it starts, that guitar lick. Uh, I tell you, Every time I make a decision to listen to this record, mm. when I kind of hit play, I get so excited yeah. to just hear those two notes. Yeah, yeah. And that feeling never goes away. I never I put, know, right? Yeah, I never put this record on and I, and I don't get that feeling because it's just magical. It because really is. all of their records up to this point have sounded great, really great. But you, you are just opening the door into the most lush production.
it's too much. It's hard for me to describe. But this is a challenge that you and I are both going to encounter yeah. when we're talking about this album is because there aren't there are no superlatives. You kind of run out of superlatives to describe how fantastic this album is and yeah. how stunningly produced it is, how stunningly engineered it is. And, you know, that's just the the music. And then you get into the, the lyrics. So the other epiphany I had about this song was about the meaning. Yeah. Because I originally thought that this was a song about a girlfriend. Yes, me too. Uh, yeah. See, when you look on the internet, that's broadly the descriptions that you find is, oh, it's about girlfriend. She sleeps around and always calls Don back to kind of pick up the pieces after she's had a bad time. And I went down this route and I explored this route and I thought, actually... I don't think it is about a girlfriend. I actually think it's a song about his friend who has a drug problem and comes back to him to kind of pick him up and look after him. Yeah. And there's little points in the song that kind of made me think there's a bit of compassion in here. So I originally thought that the line, drink your big black cow, was almost like infantilizing his girlfriend, like saying, have your Coke float almost, yeah. drink your Coke float and get out of here. But actually, I think it's like, get out of here, kid, kind of quite affectionate. Yeah. You know, I'll always be there for you. I'll always pick up the pieces. And even when I think, you know, I can't do this anymore, you know, have your Coke go on, get out of here. I'll still be here when you need me kind of thing. That was the little, that was the second revelation I had about it. But I'm still doubting that. There's moments in there when you've got the line so outrageous, which harks back to showbiz kids. Yeah. Is this girlfriend, kind of an LA trust fund kid, perhaps. It's confounded me a little bit. I think it's the drug addict friend that he's trying to help. I wholeheartedly agree with this take. There's a couple of references so rudy's although everyone seems to say it's rudy's bar and grill mm. it could actually alternatively be referring to the studio of the jazz producer rudy van gelder ah his studio is in new jersey and he actually produced all the seminal blue note records Ah, okay. So, now this is making more sense. I mentioned this in the Katie Lyde episode about Steely Dan deliberately throwing out bullshit theories into the ether. Yeah. And I often wonder whether, because of their stance on meaning, mm. whether they accept the first person's you know, analysis of their song and just goes, yeah, that's what it means. Yeah. Even though it's actually not at all. There's a couple of instances in this song where you see where you research their interviews and what they've said about the song meanings. And it is a red herring. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, what they're doing here. Because there's, there's a lot of jazz references in this song, in yeah. this album, sorry, but, but obscure ones. Yeah. You know, this is a very particularly jazzy song. <laughs> yeah, it is. In fact, a couple of points in this album generally, I find the percussion quite high up on the mix. Yeah. But I noticed that quite a lot is the percussion is really kind of quite forward. I think at this point, they've written themselves into a position where they can get the best the best mm. of the best oh god gosh is that 40 and musicians on this album yeah it is a very densely packed personnel list on this record mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and what was really interesting i read an interview with them as this record was coming out and they pretty much reiterated the fact that they were quite willing to have musicians come and do what they do which interview is that because 
I've I've read an interview from seventy seven. Yeah, I think um, I think it might have been Sylvie Simmons. Sylvie Simmons, yeah. yeah. I love that interview. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's a really unusual because they're both really kind of like open and relaxed and yeah. a little bit out of character for them. Walter says, actually, he says he's really proud of this album. Yeah. Which, you know, they don't make a habit of being outwardly you well, know, pleased with yeah, the work that they're doing. They spent a lot of time on this record. They recorded it some in New York, some in LA. And also in that interview, they they say that obviously things like the horns, those are written out, they're charts that are written out. Mm-hmm. But, but there was a lot of room for the musicians to do what they do yeah. in the song. Yeah. And and this just this just has a beautiful electric piano solo in it with some really nice changes. I'd be happy if it was three times longer. This track. <laughs> so I love picking out um, songs Silly Down have been sampled. And this is sampled on a hip hop track um, called Deja Vu, Uptown Baby yeah. by Lord Tariq. And picked the best. <laughs> I picked the best bit out of the whole song, I think, to sample. And actually, I, I'm a bit annoyed because I don't really like the rap. <laughs> it's not amazing. It's a bit of a waste, isn't it? Yeah, but it's... Any hip-hop head would have, you know, could hear that and just be like, that, that's a break. That yeah, is, it that really is. is. New York to the heart, but got love for all. Lie die in the fire where I learn the ball. Uptown is the place where I lay my dome. On the streets of the Bronx where my family roam. Oh, damn it. It's something that I really love about hip-hop is, is being able to hear something. Mm-hmm. and instantly be like oh man i could do something with that yeah it's really exciting and as we will go through the record there's more than one break on this record mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, an amazing way to open the records yeah it's a stunner i love black cow it might is it my favorite on the record i'm not sure i love them all funnily enough i know i said in the last episode that um, the real scam is my favorite by a millimeter having run this process on asia i actually think Asia's my favorite there we go now and i think it's because of the deep dive i did on the the next song which i think you and i've been building up to since we started doing this <laughs> series yeah yeah oh fucking hell asia Asia. Asia. I know, it's ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> My opening notes on this is where to fucking start with this song though? <laughs> it's just so audacious. Eight minutes long, but it doesn't feel that long. It never feels like it's a long no. song to me. I feel like I could listen to it forever. It's hardly got any lyrics, Lizzie. I know. And I know. And not only has it hardly got any lyrics, but this is for me, without a shadow of a doubt, a hymn to enlightenment. Okay. Okay. I want to hear your take on it because I have a take on this too, on the lyrics. I think we need to start at Bodhisattva. So Bodhisattva, the song, is this damning statement about people 
deciding that they're going to get their shit together or appear to get their shit together. But this song is about whatever happens, there is this feeling, this magic, this just overwhelming delight in music that hearing music elevates you to this other plane and asia isn't a person asia no, it's not. asia is the feeling asia is the oh okay and for me feeling that i was just like that's why this song just is so enchanting yeah it's stunning it's got one of my favorite lines ever by any artist which is double helix in the sky tonight oh, yeah. just It's so evocative. What I find incredible about this particular album, so, you know, on Pretzel Logic, you have these kind of little vignettes yeah. and little kind of stories and little snapshots. But on this album, the stories and the characters are so much bigger. Yeah. And I think they actually raise more questions than answers. And you're left wanting a lot, which I love because, you know, it's taken me a, the longest to kind of get my head around the lyrics and understand what they're trying to say. It's taken me longer on this album than any of the others because they are so complex. And I've still got lots of questions. I've still got lots of unanswered queries about what the hell does it mean? What are they talking about? Yeah. You can... um, so I, I think that your take, you've gone a step further than the one that I had, which is basically when they're talking about Chinese music, then it's not Chinese music, it's jazz music. Yeah that they're talking about and the solace that they find yeah and the solace that they find in listening to jazz music when am I dying dying dancing is true dime dancing of course is drug taking Mm. Yeah. And there's a lot of drug references in here. So there is a theory when they're talking about being up on the hill, they're talking about being at Camarillo State Mental Hospital, which of course is where Charlie Parker was taken in. Yeah, and that's not the first time they've referenced that. No, because of Parker's band in Pretzel Logic. Yes. And they do this as well. They thread these themes throughout the albums and pick things out. Adds to this idea of a, you know, a cohesive body of work. Yeah. And I love it. I love it. And this is starting to get really so complex beyond anything they've done before, I think. I would say this this record lyrically is can be quite abstract. Yeah, it very abstract. I don't think it's I think this is the least clear-cut song they've written. Yeah. I would agree. What I really like as well is that they managed to put a cowboy reference in this song. Which is the cowboy reference? Here at the Dude Ranch above oh, the scene. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so. Fucking cowboys are back, John. Yeah, I know. The cowboys <laughs> are back. We had a whole record without cowboys. We did. And now they're back. Yeah, which is, which I really love. With the line, 
that you mentioned, Double Helix. Oh, love it. Are they talking about DNA? I actually don't know what they're talking about in I... that one. So I wonder whether... So just for me, for my personal understanding of it, is when they talk about Double Helix in the sky, I just think about the stars in the sky. And that's what I've always thought of every time I've heard this song. And that's how I imagine the song playing out. I just imagine... I actually imagine like a beach mm. at night... That's what kind of image is painted in my mind when I listen to this song every single time. I fucking love it. I love it so much. Yeah, I think they are possibly talking about LSD. Well, they say throw out the hardware. Yeah, let's do it right. right. Yeah, so let's get rid of the syringes. Let's get rid of the pipe. Just all the paraphernalia. Get rid of it. We don't need it. We just need this little piece of paper. Yeah. LSD 25. Yeah. Holy fuck, the night sky. Kid Charlemagne. Kid Charlemagne. He's been round. <laughs> We're looking at the night sky and the stars are just turning into DNA strands. Yeah. We are at oh. one with the universe. Do you know what? I'm getting goosebumps talking about this song. Yeah. And we haven't even got to Steve Gadd. Fuck. I know, right? Oh, my God. I mentioned the drums being higher in the mix on this album, I think. This drum solo, well, there's two, isn't there? There's two drum solos. Yeah, the first one builds up into a saxophone solo Yeah. by the yeah, amazing Wayne, yeah. Yeah, Wayne Shorter. Yeah, Wayne Shorter. Did you happen to read about how he ended up on this record? Who, Wayne Shorter? Yeah. No. Did you read up about how Steve Gadd ended up on this record? No. Okay, so you do, Wayne. (laughs) I'll talk about Steve. Let's swap stories. Okay. So, Wayne Shorter, uh, Walton Don asked him to be on the record and he turned them down. Ooh. There was a guy called Dick LaPalm. And he worked with uh, Nat King Cole in the 50s and he used to promote his records. But he decided that he wanted to run a recording studio. So he's a very well-connected person running the Village Recorder, which is in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And that's where some of Asia was recorded. Mm -hmm. And they asked Dick if he knew Wayne Shorter and he did. And they asked him if they could get him on the record. And he said, I'll give him a call. And then they said, he's already turned us down. So when Dick called Wayne, he said, oh, can you just come down and do an overdub in Studio A for me? Like in the next couple of days. And Wayne was like, sure. What, like, what's the band? And Dick was like, <laughs> I can't remember. but you know, Ultimate spinach. Yeah. If you, could, <laughs> if you could do it, you know, if you could do me a solid, like come down. And so he turned up and six passes. So he did six takes and then they edited it together. And it's just an amazing, beautiful solo. Yeah. Stunning. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And so, you know, you have one of the greatest saxophone players of all time on one of the greatest records of all time. Well, it's it's perfect, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's perfect. So Steve Gadd 
ended up on this record kind of they were he was kind of given to them and they were a bit like who's this dude because they had jim keltner yeah. playing drums so jim keltner i think is on josie so what was the studio that they performed at in uh, la village recorder yeah i think it was at that studio so they'd been rehearsing and rehearsing this song with jim they basically just shipped steve gaddin for one day and jim turned up and steve was just sat there and they were like oh okay we're recording asia today are we and the whole percussion piece was recorded in one take whoa which blew my mind that's when i found amazing. that out yeah so obviously everyone else had been practicing but that's just testament to how incredible a drummer steve gadd is What he did on that track it's so complex because i understand it now and i'm properly listening to the drum track it makes me really emotional <laughs> because it's so good yeah and there's so much to it there's like the little stick clicks that he does yeah and there's the like samba stuff that he does towards the end. i think it's samba he does like that yeah. kind of absolutely amazing honestly i'm rushing talking about this song <laughs> i love it so much that blew my mind they did it in one take they had like three music stands wow for, for all of the musicians because it's so long and it's mm. so complicated but like you said earlier some of the pieces had quite you know quite rigid yeah music to play but then other you know the drummer had to come in and basically go right here you go this is what we're doing crack yeah. on see what you can do and i steve gad just completely knocked it out of the park he's amazing he's amazing, amazing. like he he plays the drums on 50 ways to leave your lover by yes, simon yes and he plays drums on guilty oh no yes. way yeah i know no way yeah uh, absolutely amazing oh my favorite take on this one though is i have to say i read on wikipedia sorry everybody is when have you ever heard a rock and roll song that you can't play on the guitar yeah that's it really isn't it that's that is a perfect point for this song yeah yeah I fucking love this song so much. I don't really know what else to say about it. I'm honestly, I'm covered in goosebumps, John. I'll, I'm even just talking about the song. It's making me really like amazing. Ah, it has that power. It really does. It's a powerful song about the power of music. Jesus, I'm actually getting emotional talking about this bloody song. <laughs> <laughs> Apologise if I start crying. I'll try and keep the sobs. Uh, I'll keep the sobs um, off mic. Well, if you weren't already through the emotional ringer oh my god <laughs> deacon blues deacon blues oh, deacon blues oh my god <laughs> i think it's because this album was the first album first steely dan album i listened to and i committed to it and i properly settled down to listen to it and we've mentioned this before that when you discover this album it's all you want to listen to yeah and it was literally all I listened to for about 
a month. So I'm very, very fond of this album. And Deacon Blues just blows my mind. When have you ever listened to a song which has such an incredibly nuanced character depiction than this one? The character that they've created is, we've mentioned Gentleman Loser before, but this is the Gentleman Loser, I think, that they've been working on. It's this archetype that they sing about so often. And tragic. I think it's tragic. I don't think, personally, I don't think things work out for this guy. Wow. Do you know, I've never, ever, ever felt like that about this song. I don't think it works out for him. I went kind of deep on this because I really wanted to understand. Obviously, blues is the nature of the song and the lyrics and just everything that fits together. Although it's not a blues song, it portrays that blues feeling. Yeah. But when I was kind of saying to myself, I need to listen to this record and I really need to to get somewhere with it that I've never been with before. I was like, why did they choose the word deacon? The why out of any any word they could have used, why deacon? Deacon in in kind of modern day Christian um, is an ordained minister, a ranked below priest. But in early church, the deacon was the minister appointed to administer charity. So, this is so sorry. This is great. I'm hooked. Come on, I want to hear your take. So, yeah. So, there's this guy that's that's like, I know where I am in the world. I know that I'm drinking. I know that I'm out all night. I know that I'm just living in this kind of dystopian dream world of carnal pleasures but i'm having a good life and i'm gonna give you i'm just gonna tell you that i'm having a good life mm-hmm. yeah i i don't think so when he's saying they call alabama the crimson tide which makes you go and research a whole bunch of stuff about american football that you never knew you would end up doing <laughs> He's saying, so when I lose, call me Deacon Blues, I'm, you know, he's still able to to kind of turn it and say, well, this is what's happening, but I think this is a good life to lead. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, yeah. That's, um, yeah. I, I, do you know what? I didn't even go in that direction. I was being a bit more, my, my take on it is, when do you, what kind of song opens with... what a way to start a song but I've always felt like this song is actually quite sad and this guy has actually quite a mundane life and what he's singing about is wanting to become this person he probably reveres the people that Don and Walt revered the the jazz musicians that they love so much and have this kind of you know reckless lifestyle but absolutely amazing on the saxophone. Like you say, make love to these women, languid and bittersweet, and have this life that he just, he actually doesn't have. And he's willing to die. I think he dies. And I think that's what they mean when they talk about, I'm ready to cross that fine line. And then he talks about, this is the night of the expanding man. 
but it changes the lyrics later on. I take one less drag, drag as I approach the stand. I feel like I don't think that's him. I've finally made it. I've, I'm finally a jazz musician. I get this idea of the stand as in it's his, it's his last stand. That, so that's my take on it. I think maybe he dies. I think he's like given up his dream of doing any of these fun things. Wow. Drugs aren't fun though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how we laughed. I like how we're complete polar opposites on this. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like he kind of, I think he takes his own life. It's always, this has just always felt like a really just wistful, it always makes me feel really good when I hear this song. I I just love this song. I just think, when have you ever heard a song with lyrics like this and a character description like this? So nuanced and deep and just complex. Yeah. It, it blows my mind. But what there's bits in it that I absolutely love when he says, I cried when I wrote this song. And it's like, I cried when I wrote this song. And you're like, oh, and then he goes, sue me if I play too long, which is like, screw you. I'm playing this really long song. You're going to listen to it. But also it's a nod to this song, Asia as well, because this is a long one. This is what, seven minutes? Yeah. Deacon Blues? Yeah. And Asia's bang on eight minutes. Yeah. And it's almost like this self, they, they are so aware of what they're doing. I Donald saying, I cried when I wrote this song. Yeah. That is a, an incredible emotional leap forward. Yeah, for them. For them. Yeah. It's huge. Mm. We've talked about four records where there's this kind of snarky cynicism mm -hmm. running deep in the grooves. Mm -hmm. And then he just throws out that line and you're yeah. just like, fucking hell, like he's, he's a different man. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. I love this song. I love this song too. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's amazing. And if we were listening to the vinyl, we have these like three really impassioned, beautiful, lyrically abstract, just ruminations. Mm. Hi, like high above anything that we've heard from them. Mm -hmm. And we're at the end of side A. <laughs> <laughs> Dammy Dan. Peg. 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 So I say this, well, for the next few albums, I think every song I'm just going to say, I fucking love this song. <laughs> I love this song so much that it's on one of my running playlists. Amazing. That's how much I love this song. However, <laughs> oh dear, I've never really properly read the lyrics. And I have to say... I'm personally aggrieved by the meaning of this song. <laughs> because it's really, really seedy. I think it's a little bit rude. I think it's seedy. Do you? Yeah, I do think it's seedy. And there's something I noticed in it towards the end, which I will mention later, that has made me go, fuck. Wow. Shall I tell you what it is now? Yeah, let's just go for it. So I always thought this song was like quite a nice homage to an actress. Yeah, kind of like a 50s pin-up. Yeah, but no, it's not. I think 
probably the easiest way to describe what I think this song is about. So you know, You're Gorgeous by Baby Bird. Yeah. And everyone's <laughs> like... Oh, sorry, I wasn't expecting that at all then. Okay, so, oh, fucking hell. Right. So now everyone's like, oh, You're Gorgeous, I'll do anything for you. Isn't that a nice song? But actually it's not. It's about this seedy guy taking advantage of a woman yeah. to get her to like pose nude for him. Yeah. And this is what Peg is about. I'm absolutely convinced of it. Blueprint Blue, Blue Movies. Yeah. Smile for the camera. Come on, darling, give us a smile. You'll look lovely. I know they'll love you better. I know I'll love you better. Um, Favourite foreign movie, porn films. Yeah. So if you listen really carefully towards the end, I don't know who's doing it. It's not a woman, thankfully, because that would be even worse. You can hear someone screaming in the background, I don't want to do this. Yeah, fuck. Do you know what? I've never... I've always been aware of that voice, but I even now I've never given it any credence. I've never kind of zoomed in on on what's happening. Yeah, I've been listening listening really carefully to it, and it goes on for a little while. And the, the only words I can pick out, I may be wrong, but it sounds like someone's shouting, "I don't want to do this." Shit. And that's totally. It hasn't ruined the song for me because I I'll always love this song because it's fucking great. And obviously, Michael McDonald. We Michael haven't mentioned McDonald's. him yet. He's got the iconic peg, it will come back to you. It's a bit grim. Fuck. That's totally what this song is. <laughs> it's about a guy coercing a woman to be in a porn film and she doesn't want to do it. And he's uh, like, come on, babe, smile for the camera. I've seen your picture. And I this is the song. Letters. If someone likes Steely Dan, if you meet somebody that likes Steely Dan, probably the first thing you're going to say to them is, how fucking awesome is Peg? Yeah. And it's a great song. Yeah. It's a great song. It's just like relentlessly positive. But it's just typical Steely Dan. Yes. Let's, like, make the jolliest song you've ever heard, but actually make it about something really gross <laughs> and yeah. grim. Yeah. Fucking hell. Damn you, Dan. I've said it again. And this, is, and this track is my gateway drug. Yeah, well, it was mine too. It was mine too, because I obviously... In fact, I think that De La Soul track yep. is probably the first time I ever... I never really heard Steely Dan. Yep, that's exact, exactly the same for me. Mm-hmm. I know by De La Soul. Because. Without knowing it was actually Steely Dan at the time. Yeah. Because I love that De La Soul album. And they just pick some amazing, really brief moments of this song and just turn yeah. it into this really. What an all-time classic hip-hop track. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's, yeah. It's, it's an example of when sampling is just masterful. Yeah. They can't even reissue that record. They can't They can't put it up for streaming or make any money off it because their rec- the record label it's on, I think, is Tommy Boy. Can't, oh, afford, can't, can't afford to pay. To clear all the samples for it. Fuck. Yeah. What a shame. You know, it goes to show you can't count on anyone in the music industry to be an archivist. These things are ephemeral. 
they, mm-hmm. they do appear and disappear yeah you know everything isn't etched in stone and mm-hmm. that's a really good example of that yeah yeah so he gets gonna have to buy it on mini disc <laughs> <laughs> when you're not listening to reef yeah oh jesus christ <laughs> reef <laughs> Fucking Michael McDonald on this track. I know, I know. Amazing. Like I said um, in uh, the Casey Lyon episode, I didn't realise <laughs> until this year, before we before we started making these podcasts, yeah. it only slotted into place this year that that's actually him singing on it, which is so stupid. <laughs> like, it's so clearly Michael McDonald singing backing vocals on Peg. I was like, I was listening to it, and I was just like... Yeah, well, that sounds like Michael McDonald. <laughs> and lo and behold, shit the bed, it's Michael McDonald. Just him singing Peg. Peg. He's like literally singing a whole chord. He's overdubbed his voice. Yeah. And it's just this amazing chord saying the word Peg. Yeah. And then he mirrors saying, come back to you. Then Don says, shut up, fools. Then yeah. he says... Shutter falls all yep. in 3D. Yep. And, and then for a movie. Yeah, for yeah. a movie. And it's <laughs> and it's just amazing. It's just so amazing. Like how his backing vocals like weave in and out of Don singing it. Yeah. It's yeah. it's it's like how the fuck did they fucking write that? I don't know, and I, I'd love to know what kind of influence Don and Walt had on the production process and how much of it was them and how much of it was Gary Katz. I think probably Gary Katz is there to... He's kind of more like a project manager, so he's just keeping it rolling along. I would imagine trying to not let Don and Walt be too obsessed. (laughs) Come on, guys. Because... Stop talking about Bard College. (laughs) They don't on this record, though. No, they don't. So, no. Do they? Mm, no. I don't know. So I don't... So my original take on Black Cow was, is the girlfriend, the girlfriend from my from old Bugs. school. Yeah. Or from my old school. That one. Well, they actually, in that Sylvie... In fact, it might not be that Sylvie Simmons because we both read it. Yeah. I, I read another interview uh, from Rolling Stone by Cameron Crowe Mm-hmm. And in that interview, they said that they were bored of singing about Bard College. Well, so are we, dudes. <laughs> bored of hearing about it. <laughs> but, um, but thank God, thank God they let go because their exploration of other themes is incredible. Yeah. Speaking of themes, home at last. They fucking did it again, didn't they? Yeah. They wrote this really breezy lovely songs it's not the lyrics are horrible but they wrote a fucking song about the odyssey yeah holy shit i know so royal scam we have a song about plato's allegory of the cave (laughs) (laughs) when you say that it just sounds so fucking crazy it is crazy but it's just you know it's what you expect from them we've got this like beautiful blue shuffle yeah song about the odyssey Mm-hmm. and yeah. I do have a story so 
there was actually um, a female engineer on this record. She was the <gasps> no way. Yeah, she they was, let a girl in. Yeah, Jesus. they let a girl in. She was the second engineer, so I would imagine that means maybe she was working the tape machines, possibly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's called Lenise Bent. Dick, I'm gonna look her up. I didn't know about her. Dick, who owned the Village Recorder, she spoke to him and said, "I want to quit. I want to quit this working on this record." And Dick was like, "Why?" And she said, well, they worked on the words, well, the, so in the chorus, they say, well, the danger on the rocks Mm. for six hours, (laughs) two fucking words, six hours. Oh, mate. And Dick was like, this record's going to be massive. Don't get yourself in a situation where you're not on the credits of this record. Mm -hmm. And she, she stays and now she can say that she was the second engineer on one of the best records of all time. Amazing. You can imagine. Can you just imagine just six hours? I think at this point, these guys have kind of taken the magic out of making a record. And although it sounds magical, the production is very, very, very Mm laboured because they just want the best performance for every single second of this record. Yeah, but then... If you could, wouldn't you? Oh, wholeheartedly. <laughs> I mean, you know, would if you were that talented, I think, so I briefly dabbled in music a long time ago. I used to play the saxophone. I did music at school and I've tried composing stuff and blah, blah, blah. And when you listen to an album like this and you understand the complexities of the recording of it and the production of it, and I just think I could never be able to produce something like that even if i was you know doing music from from when i was a kid to now they are just so prodigiously talented yeah so gifted all of the musicians they choose are you know as good if not better than they are and you know if you were that talented fuck it i'd be like yeah man we're gonna spend six hours on two recording words. two words <laughs> In fairness, you know, it's a good two words. Yeah. But in... I've got it going, I've got well the, well the in my head, <laughs> playing over and over again. That little kind of guitar, well, that, li- that little yeah. bit of lead guitar that happens. Well the danger on the rocks. You know, I've spent about five years learning how to use Ableton mm-hmm. and I've only recently this year started dipping into music theory just to try mm-hmm. and understand it a little oh, bit. Just Honestly, to... just stay away from music theory. It is fucking hard. That's what kind of stopped me. Yeah. That's what kind of put me off in the end was music theory because it just starts to become, for me, it just starts to lose the joy of it that's just my personal view so i always focus on the fact that lionel richie can't read music why would he need to well exactly because he's really talented but i just think if lionel richie can make music like that without even being able to read or write music then you don't have to be able to understand what a perfect cadence is yeah 
Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I oh, definitely. He's Just... Lionel Richie, though, so he's obviously really talented. <laughs> you only have to hear Machine Gun by the Commodores to know that. <laughs> Fuck me. That's a powerful song. Yeah. But yeah, I think because of the jazz background, mm. you do need to understand a certain complexity and that music speaks to them. Mm-hmm. They learnt how that music works Mm -hmm. and they made a decision that they weren't going to make jazz but a large proportion of their songs have a jazz lean Mm. and they're using jazz yeah their whole mo is having this which I know we've mentioned before, this kind of nucleus of Steely Dan, which is Don Walt, and then having this solar system of other jazz, you know, musicians playing on all of the records, which is a really, you know, like jazz sensibility, isn't it? It's bringing in session musicians and um, finding the best people to play the parts, to, to make it the best performance that they can possibly do. Yeah. I've never read Homer's Odyssey. I've seen Oh Brother Where Art Thou? So I've got a rough idea. Yeah. Kind of vaguely. But even the even the phrase home at last kind of alludes to Homer. Mm. Doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um and this is another one of their songs which is the, where the lyrics are quite quite folky again. There's they've got that kind of folky vibe to them yeah. in the same way that the Royal Scam does. Yeah. Um, the song The Royal Scam, Danger on the Rocks. Tied to the mast, nailed to the mast, and they do this a few times throughout their repertoire. Is they have these kind of, you know, dirty work had a bit of a folky folk rock tinge to it. It's always found quite interesting because it's a bit of a dichotomy, I suppose. It's just this completely amazing melding of genres, and you don't really notice yeah. it until you start to kind of pick it apart. And then you're just like, oh, that's this, that's this. And it's, oh, it's, it's, it's a, it's an amazing track. Everything's been so like painstakingly engineered, isn't it? Yeah, there is no happy accident on this record. No, definitely not. But there never is, I don't think, on this, uh, with, with these guys. I think everything they yeah. do is completely deliberate, even in their earlier albums. You know, yeah. them, like, you know, the mistakes, mm. inverted commas that they make aren't mistakes at all. It's, you know, the Kathy Barbarian line. Oh, yes. Um, from your gold teeth, you know, that bum note after Kathy Barbarian that was not a mistake that was done deliberately yeah yeah so I got the I news got, I got the news big Mark McDonald bit in this one. Oh, huge yeah he almost gets his own verse it's kind of a bridge isn't it yeah I've got an interesting take on this Ooh, I want to hear it because I have a take I'm not entirely sure if it's right would you want to go first okay because I'm so... really curious to see if it's anywhere near mine. So I think this song's actually quite sexy. Yep. <laughs> and I think this is Don, like, realising that he he's like, hang on a second, lady, who I've known for ages. You're fucking hot, you are. I fancy you. I think that's what this song's about. I could be wrong. But, um, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's quite, I think it's quite sexy. Why, what do you think the news is? I think, so I'm looking at it from quite a simplistic way. I think I Got the News is him going, holy shit, like this realisation about this person that actually she's she's really hot and they'll be really good together kind of thing. That's my take. Could it be 
Oh. <laughs> oh, I want to hear it. I love hearing your takes. Could it be that this song, for the majority of the song, is from a woman's perspective? Hey. And the news that she's got is that she's pregnant. <gasps> oh, I don't know, man. So. Oh, no. So, hang on. Now you're making me wonder. So, you in your lark. So, that's a reference to a car. The yes. Studebaker lark. Maybe she is saying to the man, his car, and we're still in an age where a man would most likely own a car more than a woman would. Mm-hmm. And I hate to say that. I want to put that No, out no, there. no. It's right. It's correct. Daddy is a rare millionaire. So his dad is a millionaire, but she doesn't care. He's got the muscle and he's a hustler. I've got the news. And... Yes, dear. How did you know? So the guy has a feeling that maybe she's pregnant. Can't you see our love will grow? That So, yeah, you're making me wonder now because it's the line. So I always feel like that this is like they have kind of got together and it's really sexy and it's the couplet. Slow down. I'll tell you when I may never walk again. And I May Never Walk Again is kind of, you'd more expect a woman to say that after, after yeah. she's been having like a great night having sex with somebody. Like, Christ, I'm never going to walk again. And that was amazing sort of thing. Yeah. You don't hear men say that very often. That's very true. So you're making me think, oh, fuck, hang on a second. You might be right, John. <laughs> but but so we have that amazing Broadway duchess. Yeah. And that's like the guy. Yeah. Singing... Yeah, it's just like a call response, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 So, but then the end, when you have the Spanish kissing, yeah, I think that is referring to she gives him a blowjob <laughs> because again she's pregnant. So, so instead of them having sex, she gives him a blowjob because she's got the news that she's pregnant. She's pregnant. I don't Fuck, know, John. I think you might be right. <laughs> it <clears throat> it kind of blew my mind when I when that all like popped into my head. Oh, oh, yeah, of course, because we had a little yeah. text exchange, didn't we, about yeah. the two songs that we like, yeah. nailed our takes on. Yeah, because my take's quite, like, superficial, but, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And that's just the lyrics. Yes. <laughs> this is a banger, this song. It's an absolute banger. Like, if I was out and someone played this, I would lose my mind. Yeah. Because it's so funky. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just so... It's got such an amazing groove. It's like... You just want to dance when you hear this song. I love it. And it's got loads of amazing stops and starts. And yeah, the tempo changes are tempo just changes awesome. Tempo changes, just really great. And Interesting, though, this mention of sirens again. Yeah. Which harks back almost to, you know, to the song beforehand, Home at Last, because that's part of this Homer's Odyssey, isn't it? When they put wax in their ears to... Yeah. To, so they can't hear the sirens, so they don't crash on the rocks. But are the sirens 
fans of the band. Yeah. In or this just, song. Or other women chasing yeah. him. Yeah. Don's voice is my favourite in this one, I think, because he really, he genuinely sounds like he's really enjoying singing it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a real, like, vocal highlight for him. Yeah. Like, it, across, it, like, all the records. Yeah, it really does. There's, it feels almost a bit improvised as well, I think. Because um, so all the musicians on this on this song sound relaxed and sound like they're really enjoying themselves. But why wouldn't yeah. you? It's such a great, such a great groove. It's what, it's what they would call, they're all in the pocket. Yeah, and it's got the Lyricon instrument in it, that mad, having a chat about this yesterday, oh, weren't right, we? Because yeah. I was like, what the fuck is that? It was another one of those instruments I'd never heard of and went off on one. Yeah, and yeah. I suppose it's like, it's probably the easiest way to describe it, it's an electric soprano saxophone, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. An electric, yeah, I suppose it is electric soprano sax. And it's... So, I think it comes with like a piano tie <laughs> when you buy it. Amazing. Yeah, it doesn't. I'm speculating, but um, <laughs> it's it's a mad sounding instrument because it's having listened to it now and having listened to, I've watched some YouTube videos of it. It's present in so many um, '80s songs without me realizing what it actually was. I always thought they were playing like a synthesizer. Yeah. It's not. It's this. It's, you know. It's this lyricum. kind of start to realize of these guys that they are invested in using technology mm, they are they're not they are. they're not purists and we're going to get into that further over the next few episodes mm. i just really like that at some point somebody must have you know come to the session and said oh look at this amazing synthesizer saxophone that i've got yeah and they were just like right yeah cool set the mics yeah. up let's record it let's do it yeah i can imagine both of them going nuts about yeah. it yeah yeah definitely god bless them <laughs> hey we're at the last track of the records oh man josie i've found it near impossible to crack the case of this song i think i've cracked it john go for it josie <laughs> is rock and roll Fucking hell. That's exactly what it is. Yep. Josie isn't a person. Josie is rock and roll. Fuck. And this was this was me yesterday when I went, oh my God, I've cracked it. Can I just stop you there just for one yeah. second? Yeah, yeah. Because I just suddenly had a flash. What's that? We have discussed at great length these guys running down women and being horrible about women. Mm -hmm. But on this record, called Asia, a woman's name... Yes. That Asia yes. is in like a state of enlightenment and they and they call rock and roll Josie. Josie. Maybe they finally They know the magic realize, of the magic yes. of women. They women aren't women aren't terrible people. They're women these are awesome. Magical, powerful entities. It's amazing. Have we just witnessed the redemption yes. of the Dan yes. <laughs> yes. in this album. Yes. Yeah. And then you've got the opening track of Gaucho as well. Yes. Which obviously we won't jump ahead and we won't say what it is, but that's yeah, pretty fucking cool yeah. song about 
women. Yes. Um, yeah, Josie's rock and roll. And so I don't know if you're familiar with the story about what happened when Blackpool Jungle was first shown. Yeah, there were riots in yeah. the cinema. Mm, because that was the first time that young people, a lot of young people, had ever heard rock and roll music and it made them go crazy. And that's what I think this song is about. Amazing. I think the song is about how rock and roll makes you feel and what you do when you're into it. You know, you go down on the beach and make it. Because it talks about when Josie comes home, but it also they talk about girls as well. They talk about going you know hanging out with girls and go to the beach with girls and all this kind of thing so you know just to say that this is Josie that Josie is about a girl a particular girl I don't think that works but because I'm like why would you have a massive punch up because of a girl that's come home (laughs) and you you wouldn't you'd kind of would you it's yeah Josie's rock and roll Josie makes you go crazy rock and roll makes you go wild it's amazing. We're going to get tooled up. We are going to have a fight. We're going to have a riot because we're so moved and inspired by this music. And they even made up, shine up the battle apple. <laughs> Battle, battle apple isn't a real thing. It's a thing that they both, that Don and Walt just made up because they like making up slang words. Yeah. And they just invented this battle apple thing, which isn't true. Joe, would you love to scrapple? So some theories say that Joe, would you love to scrapple means you'd love her to give you a blowjob. Right. But actually scrapple, I think that's just a scrap. It's like a fight. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> She'll never say no. We'll shake them all down tonight. Dance on the bows, the girls say when. It's just, yeah, it's like, Ever we're going to go totally crazy because of rock and roll. Amazing. You never saw that in Happy Days. No, you fucking didn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, and again, it's a banger as well. Many moons ago, I worked at National Rail Inquiries and one of the high-up managers had a band and at a Christmas party, the band played and they played this song. <gasps> what? Yeah. Oh, my God. And it all happened in Plymouth. And it almost feels like a dream at this oh point. Oh, my God. Yeah. How random. Yeah. Yeah, and I was just like, what? That's a fucking Steely Dan song. <laughs> it's not just 80s Josie as yeah. well. It's pretty obscure. Yeah, they did a really good version of it as well. Oh, wow. I'd really, really be impressive. up front, mate. I'd be like, like yeah, come on. I was too busy getting all the free booze that I could. <laughs> That's my boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I haven't really explored this idea that I was sort of thinking about yesterday. And I was thinking about the dichotomy of what Steely Dan were doing with rock and roll at this point in time. So like 1977, which is when punk was really starting. Exactly. This is like Mm. the year that punk rock. Yeah, exactly. This couldn't be any further away. No, it couldn't. But then, so punk is like out there. It's like fuck the establishment three chords and the truth exactly and steely dan on the other hand whilst the music is still quite navel gazy and let's you know stroke our beards and take acid but it's still very subversive oh a hundred percent it's really easy to forget how subversive rock and roll was how subversive jazz was when it first came out you know it's easy to forget that these kind of genres of music 
just completely shook things up. What Steely Dan are doing are kind of perpetuating this subversiveness, but in their own way. Yeah, I really believe this whole kind of 77 punk rock thing Mm. is very reductive. Mm, Yeah. Because the Stooges were making punk music in the late 60s yeah they were you know that that was that was happening and i kind of feel that all the big records that come out of the 70s regardless of genre Mm. are actually based around the fact that people who loved music were running the labels Mm. and it's only when they started selling the labels and then it was accountants that made all the decisions Mm. you get this you know you get this homogenized version of yeah. music. Yeah. And for me, in my mind, there's no difference, like you say, with it being subversive. This is this is a subversive record. Mm, because it really is. It's not a rock record, it's not a jazz record. No. It's jolliest song is about coercing a female <laughs> into making pornos. A porn film, yeah. That's no different from a whole bunch of punk songs and mm-hmm. lyrically what they're about. Yeah. I think the only difference is you have to fucking put the time in to make this record. Mm. Yeah. It's like patience. Mm-hmm. Just they had an idea in their head and I can only imagine what the atmosphere must have been like at points of this record. Yeah, yeah, Because agreed. it wouldn't have all been like happy smiling, oh, we're making this record, isn't this like the best time of our lives? I can yeah. imagine they were like, do it again yeah exactly do it Back again Jack. when you do it do yeah again. do it yeah <laughs> and like when you do it i want you to do this and that and that they're like the kubricks aren't they of rock and roll yeah most definitely that's good mm. that's but it's that's, a good thing that's because yeah. where would we be without without steely dan well, we wouldn't be doing this podcast, that's no, for sure. No, you fucking wouldn't. That's much. <laughs> <laughs> Just this album is, yeah, when people say it's one of the most important recordings, it really is. It really is, yeah, 100%. It, yeah, it really is. And I've, you know, I've said this several times because I've only ever really been a very superficial Steely Dan listener and still loved this album. And I think it's testament to their talent. Yeah. and their songwriting ability that they're able to give you two really stark layers of understanding you know superficially absolute bangers amazing grooves brilliant lyrics to sing along to great melodies great production amazing and then solos this, yeah and then you get this kind of you know this this other layer this completely separate layer of understanding the lyrics the stories the metaphors this is the, like the high watermark, I think, for them as a band. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. We get to have a discussion about how do you follow up your biggest record? Yeah. Yeah, how do you do it? How do you follow up a Grammy award-winning record? But we'll get to we'll that. We'll get to show. that. I've absolutely loved talking about this album, John. It's been a real roller coaster yeah me too i've been building this up from the first second of i know the episode. i'm feeling a bit emotional now it's over although i am stoked to talk about gaucho i can't wait to talk about gaucho I know. and then we're really gonna go deep after we're gonna go deep we're gonna go on a right deep dive aren't we yeah we'll save it thank you very much for listening to this week's episode we will be back again in two weeks time to blow your mind even further Take it easy.
Bye. Bye. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.